Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. This text today, y'all, is difficult. And the reason why it's so difficult is because it's so black and white. And because we are a people who love to live in the areas of grayness, when we read texts like this, we think it doesn't apply to us. Or there has to be something more. All right? And so when preachers come up here and preach texts like this, and it has such heavy theological implications and things of that nature. We, it's not that we get nervous. We are just like, Lord, how, I'm going to, how am I going to say this without offending some people? How am I going to say this without allowing all of their defenses to come up so that the word of God can't penetrate those hard areas of your heart? And so here's what I will ask you all to do before I kneel down to pray. I pray that you would pray that the Holy Spirit would take his word and do something in your heart that will cause you to look more like Jesus. If there are any areas of your heart when you hear this text about faith and works, that the Spirit of God would do what he does best and teach you in a way that you understand. Can you pray that prayer with me? All right, let's pray. Eternal Father, I kneel down before you because I want to decrease so that you may increase. I kneel down before you because I'm asking you, Father, to do a work in me. And out of the overflow of my heart and my studying, I may be able to feed your sheep. But I also pray, Father, if there's anyone in here who does not have faith, that this sermon will prick their hearts so that they might ask that all-important question, what must I do to be saved? And if there is someone in here who is a follower of Jesus, but they are stagnant in their faith, I pray, Father God, that this will encourage them, equip them, and in some areas, convict them to look more like your son, Jesus. If there are any mountains in our way, would you move them by the power of the Holy Spirit? If there's any tragedies in our way that are are binding us so that we may not go forward, I pray that you will loose and break every chain. Father, we just ask that your word would do what it has been called to do, and that's allow us to look more like your son, Jesus. And it's in Christ's name that we pray that all the saints say, amen. All right. So, We've been going through this series called Faith That Works. I know last sermon um, blew a lot of people out, you know, (laughs) so hopefully I'm a little softer this time, but, you know, it worked, right? Faith That Works, once again, is simply saying that a disciple of Jesus takes the precepts of God, put them in practice despite the persecution that you are going through, all right? So today we are going to jump into James chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2. All right. 
And I want to read verses 14 through 18. 14 through 18. When you have it, say amen. If you're still looking, say, wait a minute. Okay. All right. You were loud, brother. Okay. All right. We got you. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. All right. Pick that Bible up and you can read out of that. There is on the screen as well. If you don't have a personal Bible, that Bible under the chair is a gift to you. If you don't know how to read the Bible, come back and we will show you how to read it. Beginning at verse 14 in chapter two, it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Underline that word. It's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James said, then I will say to them, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Whew. Let's deal with the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is simply, is there a contradiction between what Paul teaches about theology and what James teaches about theology? Because I know some of you have that objection, right? And what I would say to you is that there is no contradiction between what Paul is saying, nor is there a contradiction between what James is saying. Here we go. For Paul says we are saved by faith, not by works. Anybody read that in your Bible before? All right. You're saved by faith, not by works. And then you just heard James say you are saved by works, but uh, saved by faith, but accompanied by works. Who is right? Both of them. Seems like a cop out, right? Let me explain further. How are they both correct? Paul's teaching about faith and works focus on the time before conversion, all right? Before you were saved, all right? There is no merit. There is no work that you can do to justify that you are right before God so that you may receive salvation. That's what Paul is talking about, before conversion. But James is talking about faith and works after conversion, now that you have been saved, now that you are walking in salvation, you have been prepared to do good works. In fact, you have the ability to do good works now. Because the Bible says that all of our works were like filthy rags. But now that you are in Christ, you have the ability to produce something. All right, I'm going to go somewhere with that. So the point is, they are not standing face to face and in opposition towards one another. They're actually standing back to back, fighting two opposite foes. All right? And here are the foes. Paul is fighting the one who believes they can earn salvation by their works. All right? That's who Paul is fighting. Paul, like, man, that, that's not how salvation works. All right? 
But what James is doing, he's fighting the one who believes now that I have the ticket to heaven, I can just sit back and chill. That's the modern church right now. The modern church is the church who say, I don't have to go to church to love Jesus. The, the modern church says, man, church ain't doing it right anyway, so I'm going to go over here and follow my passion. See, the modern church is the one who wants less commitment, but all of Christ. Right? That's what the modern church is. That's why statistically, people only come to church maybe once a month. Because they see the gathering as not important. But I guarantee you, don't throw no shade at me. You've already been planning for your, planning for your Super Bowl party. Am I correct? Uh-huh. You see people just start dropping their head like, man, Pastor, what? I, I might be at your party. I ain't throwing no shade. I might, I might show up. <laughs> the Kansas City going to win. But, you know. I'm just telling you the truth. Listen, the Cowboys ain't in it. You can't get mad at nothing, right? <laughs> so why did I have to explain this elephant in the room? Was it to, to, to defend James and Paul? No, it was not to defend James and Paul. You know why? Because Paul and James are not arguing about faith and works. They are Jewish men who understand that righteousness is not only about the standard of what you do, but also the reflection of your heart. They Jewish men, they understand that. The reason why I had to explain this for our benefit, because we like to live in gray areas, right? And I'm going to touch on that a little more. And the other reason why I think I had to uh, point it out is because this is where I think systematic theology goes wrong, right? Systematic theology suggests that we got to have everything aligned, right? Everything has to match. And what it does is it neglects biblical theology where biblical theology has an author, an audience, and a central theology that's centered around Jesus. See, when you know that there is an author and an audience, then you don't have to align it with other things. What you can do is saying that author and that audience is being, being shaped by the um, theology of Christ. But that's not what we do, right? We say things like, I'm Reformed. I'm Armenian. I'm a dispensationalist. I'm a Calvinist. And some of the arguments that we have when we come to this text will cause people like Calvin and be like, bro, how did you come up with that? That's not what I meant at all. Some of you think Paul is saying stuff. I, I, I can only imagine Paul saying, bro, is that how you read that? Oh, my goodness. I, I think sometimes we get so caught up in which camp we are in that when we go to read the scripture, we're not reading it through the lenses of the author. We're reading it through the lens of our camp. Right. And when you read the Bible through the lens of your camp, when it doesn't fit, watch this, you force it to fit in there. Or you do a Martin Luther and say, man, that James book, it is not even biblical. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me get out of that. <laughs> James and them are not arguing about that. James has one question. He has one question. Are you living out your faith? 
That's the single question he is asking believers. Are you living out your faith? Are you practicing what you preach? Are your beliefs and your behaviors aligned? That's the only question he's asking. That if you are a follower of Jesus, if you were put on trial, right, and they charged you for being a Christian, and when they look at the charges of your faith, will you be innocent or guilty as charged? Some of y'all missed that. That you will be on trial. They will look at the fruits of your labor, the things that align with who Jesus Christ is. And when they put you on trial, they'll be like, nope, you're not a Christian at all. Go on, go on your way. Or would they say guilty as charged? That's what James is dealing with right now. He's dealing with our faith. He's trying to see if there's alignment. And by the way, he's been spending 40 verses talking about the same question over and over again. This isn't new, y'all. He's already said this several times. Watch. In chapter 1, when he said, when your faith is tested and tempted, are you enduring and growing in spiritual maturity? So he asked that question already. Well, again, he says, when you hear the word of God, are you practicing and applying its truth? Remember that? Are you a hearer or a doer of the word? James says, don't put a dichotomy between the two, because if you hear the word, you shall also do it. Right. And then last week, he says, when you see poor people, are you loving them as you as a neighbor? Are you loving them as yourself? Or are you showing favoritism? But now he's at the point of asking the question, how's your faith? How are you living? What are you producing? Which brings me to this. James is about to challenge the vitality of our faith. He's about to examine. And so your responsibility as hearers today it's to begin to do some self-reflection to see if your faith is alignment with your convictions, which is hard. Because we say things like, we ain't killed nobody, man. Like, I ain't, look, I, bro, I ain't as bad as the other dude over here. But that's not what James is asking you. James is asking you about your obedience. Let me see if I can make this plain for you all. He's asking, is your faith alive? And he's saying, you and I can determine if our faith is alive by the fruit that we produce. You can determine whether your faith is alive by looking at the roots of your life. And when you look at the roots of your life, does your internal confession of Jesus produce external fruit that causes people to desire him, right? In other words, true faith produces fruit. Somebody might want to write that down. True faith produces fruit. You know where I've learned this principle from? I learned this principle from watching my wife take care of plants and flowers, all right? Because she doesn't have a green thumb. She has a black thumb. A dark black thumb, according to her. And I blame some of you all because you all keep bringing her flowers and you keep bringing her plants 
which suggests that you are putting those plants and flowers on death row. That's your fault. And it's not my fault. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, uh, when you bring these flowers, they are pretty to the sight. They bring an amazing aroma to the house. They even add colors to the house. But after Tamara killed them, I mean, after they die, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. After they die, then there is no more vibrant color or smell. It, is no, it no longer produces flowers or fruit. It is actually just dead. Likewise, faith is like a plant. Faith that is truly alive produces something. You see the connection? Those who profess to be followers of Jesus should be producing something. Those who have put their faith in Christ, there should be an examination of your works that when people see it, they should see a product being produced. But oftentimes we don't see products in the hearts of our brothers and sisters. We see people giving lip service to the faith. James is going to address that. So here's my point. If there is no works attached to your faith, then there may be a deficiency in your actions. If there is no works attached to your faith, you might need to reexamine your heart because faith without works is fruit less. Faith without works is fruitless. All right, let's jump into the text. James starts this body of passage, this pericope with three questions, right? These questions are sandwiched between this idiom, what good is it? All right, When you read these three questions in verses 14 to 17, it is sandwiched between what good is it? And the reason why someone would ask the question of what good is it is to determine the purpose of something, right? However, oftentimes when it is used, it is used because people do not think that something is helpful or worth doing, right? Jesus asked this same question in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul in the end? Right? Like, what profit do you get when you have all this material stuff, but you don't have eternal life? That's what Jesus asked. And so James, which is his brother who probably listened to him, came back and said, hmm, so what good is it for a follower of Jesus to say they have faith but no works? He's saying it is worthless. To say that you have works, faith, but you have no works, he's saying it's incompatible with one another. Here's another way to say it. Another way to say it is what good is it if you learn all the right words to say, but never do anything with it. Right? Because that's what Christians, like, we can quote scriptures, we, we, we can do all type of stuff. He says, what use is it 
that you have learned all your Awana scriptures, which I bring up all the time. There's no shade at Awana, but I remember watching my daughters just chew through books. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go through Awana is because it was a scholarship attached to it. Anybody got that Awana scholarship from here? I got one. Anybody else? Okay, too. Like, there was a scholar. I'm like, you better, you better eat this book. You better read this book. You better not miss this. And then when we would get in the car and talk about scripture, we would be like, hey, so what you're going through right now, what scripture can you apply to that? And they'd be like, I don't know. I'm like, hold on. Didn't, didn't you just like go through like 10 books? There's not one scripture you can quote to attach to this? And probably the problem was Tamara and I, who was pushing them to make sure we, they got this scholarship as opposed to pushing them so that they can look more like Jesus. That's just me, right? And so James says that faith without works or faith that is a bunch of words, he said, is dead. And so the question that you have to ask yourself, is that real faith? Because that's what, that's what James asks in the text. He says, can that faith save him? Now, remember, he's writing to believers. Don't try to put unbelievers in this text. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to someone who believed and then lost their faith. None of that is in this text. Don't allow that to trip you up. He's literally asking this. Merely talking about faith does not indicate that a person really has faith. Your lip service is not an indication that you have faith. That's what he's saying here. But in the Bible Belt, what I have learned is that most Christians are Christians by culture, not by confession. There's a lot of people in the Bible Belt who are Christians because we live in God's country. There are people who are Christians because, well, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Buddhist, so I must be Christian. That's not how Christianity works. You are a Christian because of your confession in Jesus. That's what Jesus said to Peter. But oftentimes, man, we run into people who are Christians because their grandmother was saved. My grandmother was saved, so I know I'm going to be all right. Is that how you get access to being made justified? See, some of us, have to examine our faith and ask yourself, if you continue to produce the works in your life, starting from right now, two years from now, what would you be growing? What would you be growing? So he goes on to say, in order for me to illustrate to you the disconnect between a, a faithless work, I mean, a faith that is disconnected in work, he goes to chapter, he goes to verse 15 and 16, and he says this, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, 
what good is it? In other words, what good is it to give a benediction to your brother and sister, but no bread when they are in a time of need? What, like, let me make it home. What good is it for you to go to college, get a degree, and then come home and can't get no job? Like, like what good is it to talk to someone who has already made up their mind that they ain't going to change anyway. He said, what good is it for you to look at your brother, see his need, have resources to help him, but you say, man, be peace, man. Can I pray for you before you leave? Hey, man, I will be praying for you. He said, what good is that? Let me bring this home. Because I think we get a disconnect between this poor illustration. See, here's what we do. We say things like this. I don't condone racism. But, you know, I, I, I don't want to get in the way. That's what the impeachment was all about, right? The impeachment was they saw a problem. They identified the problem. But then they said, man, if we remove a president right now, we, it, it, it's too catastrophic. It would tear the nation that is already divided apart. Hold on. He is the cause of the division. You don't want to remove him who is causing more division? That's the issue. What's coming out of your mouth and your accents don't align. And I know some people go, like, man, Jerry trying to make this political. No, I'm trying to show you how it affects real people when you don't stand up for what is right. As a follower of Jesus who has the truth. He says, what sense does that make to have faith? And then when it's time for you to act upon it, you tell people, Man, I hope it all works out for y'all, man. It'll be all right, man. That's what James is saying. One of the places that the church has failed so much in is speaking out when it's going to cost you something. We speak out when it supports our cause. Like, like we can talk about abortion all day. Yeah, you care about the, pe the babies that are in the womb, right? But what about the ones who are not? Like you you want to criticize women and say, man, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. But when it's time to protect her, when she has been violently beat up by somebody, you don't say nothing. He's saying that is faith that's, de that's detached from action. I know this was going to be heavy, but this is what we do as Christians. And then we hide behind being busy. We hide behind um, not having enough resources. We hide behind all these things when you have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I tell my wife all the time, I know, listen, we may not have it, but name one time, baby, name one time where we were without. One time, just one. 
that we couldn't pay a bill, that we didn't have food, that we didn't have shelter, that we didn't have clothing. Name one time, just one. Because when it's time for us to make the sacrifice that will hurt, we can trust in the God who provides. That's what faith and action looks like. You're trusting in the God who will provide. You're trusting in the God whose character keeps his promise. That's the whole issue in this text. Uh. Faith without works is fruitless. Now, I know some of you all are going to object to this, all right? And, and you might say something like this. Some believers, pastor, like theology, and they are more theoretical, right? And they prefer to talk about faith, while others are more practical, like me. And I prefer to live out Jesus' teaching. We are both Christians, um, pastor, but we have a different emphasis. Some might say that, right? But if you did say that, James will say to you the same thing he said to the objector in verse 18. He will simply say to you, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. If you can show me your faith without no works, then what I'm going to do is to show you my faith by my works. In fact, he quotes this um, faith apart from works two other times. Look in verse 20. Faith apart from works is what? I didn't hear you. What is it? Useless. He said faith apart from work is what? In verse 26. Is dead. See, the word dead, I love this word. It comes from this word necros, right? Necros, right? Your neck, go shop at Ross, all right? Like something like that. Necros, you got it, right? You'll never forget that word, right? You'll never forget that word. And the word necros simply means something that is dead or something that is a corpse, or watch this, something that is fruitless. And he says, when you have faith that is not accompanied by work, you are in danger of producing a fruitless faith. In fact, necros, um, I, I learned, was connected to the word necromancer. Anybody seen the uh, uh, Lord of the Rings stuff? All right, the Hobbit. Remember the necromancer in there? The stiller of souls? He said, when you have faithless fruit, you are more in line with the necromancer than you are with Jesus. Necros. All right. Y'all going to be saying that all week. <laughs> Don't get it tattooed on your body. I know some of y'all putting Hebrew words on you or whatever. Just don't get that. That's, that's the wrong. I, I'll give you another Greek or Hebrew word to put on your body. Don't put that one out there. <laughs> the point James is making is that faith without works is fruitless. And to illustrate this, all right, the best way that I can illustrate this and, and, and this is just me as a husband trying to make sense of it. It is the difference between saying you love me and showing me that you love me. I've been hit with that before. It's, it's the difference between telling all of you all that I love Tamara. So most of y'all hear me say it all the time. 
But then when we get home, she'd be like, no, that was cute, baby, but don't say it in public if you ain't going to say it in private. That not have been my wife that said that. <laughs> Here's the point. If all you do is say that you love me, but do not show it, then you leave me empty. Because works are empty. All right? If all you do is show that you love me, but never say it, then you disconnect me from emotions. Because I'm not connected to you, I'm connected to the object that you are giving me. Are you tracking with me? Here's the last one. But when you say you love me and show that you love me, then you give me evidence that you love me. James said, if you are a follower of Jesus and you say that you love Jesus, then the reflection of your heart should be evident. But oftentimes you say that you love Jesus with your words, but your actions are empty. But some of you all do a lot of Christian stuff, but your theology is not in alignment with one another. You know where most Christians hide? And this is not a shot. This is this statistic. You know where most Christians hide or most people who profess to be Christians? They hide in parachurch ministries. You know why they can hide in parachurch ministry? Because they don't have to say much. They can do a lot of stuff. And then when you look at the top, and it's time for that parachurch ministry to be in stride with the local church, it turns into a fight. Because the moment the church becomes the church, then the parachurch ministry loses donors. And when parachurch loses donors, with someone whose faith is not connected to Jesus, but faith is connected to his work, it becomes his identity or her identity. And then they start bad-mouthing the local church. Ah, uh, no shade, but you cannot have faith without your works. Because James would say, true faith produces fruit. And all James is doing is quoting his brother, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 21. If you have it, write it down. All he's doing is quoting his brother. He's not making up something new, all right? All James is doing is saying, you recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or fig from the thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bear bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Watch this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. That's all he's quoting. What he's saying is nothing new. He's saying that your faith and your works have to be aligned. Now, some of you are saying, but I believe. I believe, pastor. And then James is going to say, the demons believe also. And they fear him. 
right? You say you believe, but you don't even fear him. And then James is going to say, you know what? Let me show you something. Let me show. Do you want me to show you how faith and work operate together? And, and in fact, he uses the word, oh, you old foolish person. I didn't want to say that because I don't want to offend anyone. But that's what James says. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at James. He said, do you want me to show you, you old foolish person, how faith and works come together? And he gives you two illustrations. And I got to get out of your way. He gives you the illustration of the patriarch and a prostitute. He gives you the illustration of a Jew and a Gentile. And the reason why he gives you these two polarizing opposite end illustration is because this formula works for everybody. And here's the formula. Faith plus works equals action. Faith plus work equal obedience. If you have faith, it should be followed by your works so that it is evident to the people to see. All right. So he uses this guy named Abraham. Anybody know Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Many. Okay, don't start singing that. All right, don't start saying it. He uses Abraham, who's the patriarch, the, the father of faith, and he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, because if you look at verse 23, it says, Abraham believed God, and what? It was counted to him as righteous. It was accounted to him as righteous. Now, if you know the story, let me show you something real quick. In chapter 14 of Genesis, Abraham had just finished fighting a battle. He had just saved his son Lot. Right. And when you fight a battle, you begin to reflect upon your life. Now, before he was Abraham, he was Abram, which means father of many. Right. But when Abraham looked at his life, he was like, I don't have no children. You, you're telling me that I'm going to be this great nation and all this stuff, but I don't have no children. And then so God said to him, you will have a child. I promise you this. And the Bible says when God said that to him, Abraham believed him. And when Abraham believed him, it was accounted to him, watch this, as righteousness. Now, 30 years later, 30 years later, we go from chapter 15 to chapter 22. God has fulfilled his promise by giving him a son named Isaac. He's happy. Because he, he, his lineage can carry on. And then God says to him, take your son up on a mountain and kill him. What? See, when we read this, we like, this doesn't make sense. You, you just promised him a son. He has a son. Now you're about to take him on a mountain to kill him? Now watch this. I think this is one of the dopest scriptures. I think it's what I do. I, I really do. I say a lot of scriptures are dope. But this one right here is real. So, the Bible says in verse, in verse 22, verse 5, or Genesis chapter 22, verse 4, I'm getting so excited about it. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men that were with him, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Some of y'all missed it. The command is to go kill your, um, your only child. But when he's talking to the men that's down low, he says, I and the boy are going to go, we're going to worship, and both of us are going to come back. Hold on, what? 
Like, no, because Abraham had faith. He said, even if I kill him, I know that the God that I serve can raise him from the dead. See, some of you all got to have that type of faith that even if God takes this from me, I know he has a better plan and a better life. Therefore, I will trust him and follow him. And so he went back to kill his son. The angel of the Lord says, hey, I got you, boy. You, I got you. You all right? Leave that boy alone, man. Get him down off of that, bro. Move that fire and stuff. His faith preceded his work, but they were interchangeable. Yeah. Some of y'all are like, man, Jerry, that's not in the Bible. It's my interpretation. I'm a daddy, man. I'm true. I've been hesitant. <sighs> Abraham was like, ah. <laughs> Right? And then he uses a woman. This is, oh my goodness. He uses a woman to defend justified being by works. This is uncommon. Not only does he use a woman, he used a prostitute, a Gentile woman. Now, her, the Bible doesn't keep quoting her um, as a prostitute because she was no longer a prostitute when she uh, followed Yahweh. The title prostitute is just showing you what she was delivered from. All right? That's, that's free. That's free, right? So, Rahab was a prostitute, and when I went to Israel, I actually got a chance to go to the place where they used to have this lodge, right? It was a brothel, right? How did, how did Rahab know about Yahweh? Some Jewish men used to go into the brothel. You know, man, God just delivered us from the hands of, and she would hear the stories about Yahweh, and when she would hear the stories about Yahweh, when you go to Joshua chapter 2 and the spy shows up, notice what she says. I have heard you, I have heard about you, and I've heard about your God, therefore I believe. She heard about him. See, if you have faith in Jesus, why aren't you taking his truth to the world? She heard about him. Now they're about to go kill these spies. But she feared Yahweh. And so she hid them. She lied. And then she showed them how to escape. Now, can I remind you something? She committed treason. She should have been killed. But she feared God more than she feared her accusers. Is that the type of faith you have? Let me get out of your way. Because I know I'm out of town, but this is, you know, I had to do this. And so how do we do this, Pastor? How, how do we live this thing out? And I'm going to say, show me your faith by your fruit. Show me your faith by your fruit. If you want to live a life that is connected to action, then show me your faith. Show God your faith by your fruit. Your fruit is your works. Now watch this. There are three things, maybe two, but three things I know about fruit. You can eat fruit, you can share fruit, and fruit will reproduce itself. The formula to live in a life of faith and works is to take the formula of eat, share, reproduce. Are you tracking with me? Eat, share, reproduce. Say it with me. Eat, share, reproduce. Eat. Now, God, Jesus says in, in John chapter 15, if you abide in me, watch this, I will also abide in you. 
If you abide in me, I will also abide in you. And when you abide in me, watch this word he used, you will produce fruits. Because anyone who does not abide in me can do absolutely nothing. If you're going to be the type of Christian who takes your faith and allows it to be active, then you're going to have to abide in the word of God. You're going to have to abide in knowing who Jesus is. And he says, when you abide in me, you get the chance to produce or at least have the ability to produce things from your life. Right. That's why that's why I think he uses the word necros, because he's thinking about how the spirit of God who lives inside of you, who's abiding in you, can produce fruit in you. Right. Now, watch this. When you eating, Right. And you are experiencing the beauty of Christ. You have something to share with people. Uh, somebody got it. You have something to share with people because the word of God begins to come just out of nowhere. And you can minister and discern the truth that you're sharing with people. So when you eat, you are ready like good fruit to share. Like in my household, my daughters don't like eating full bananas. They don't, they don't like eating full bananas. I don't know why, but they don't like eating full bananas, right? And then they come, Daddy, I'm about to eat a banana. Would you eat half? I'm like, yeah, I'll eat the other half. When you live a life that is pleasing to God, somebody's going to come up to you and say, hey, man, can I taste some of that fruit? It didn't get to a point in my household you know, I don't know if you and your, if you marry, I don't, you and your, I'll struggle through this. But we used to go to um, get something to eat, go through the drive-thru, and I used to order like, hey, man, let me get a number two. Right? Let me get another two. Tamara, do you want anything? Nah, I'm good. Okay, cool. Drive off. Then I go to the house. Sit down. And I'm unwrapping my stuff, you know, getting my napkins and stuff, squeezing out my ketchup and stuff. And then she turns and say, can I have some? I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no, you weird. not the same. And for years, I used to be like, no, we're not the same place. And then we came up with a system. If all you want is a piece of something, you order it. And what you don't eat, I will eat. But now that I'm spiritual, when I buy something, if she say, can I have something? I'm like, yeah, you can have some of this. <laughs> when you eat and you're walking in the power of the spirit, watch this, you are willing to share. And when you are willing to share whatever you have poured into that person, here's what fruit do. It reproduces itself. See, that's the beauty about fruit. It already has the seed inside of it. And so once you consume it, once you share it, it will re reproduce itself. If you want to be the type of Christian whose faith and action you need to eat, share, and then watch it reproduce itself. Because that's what discipleship is all about. Faith without works is fruitless, but true faith produces fruit. So show me your faith by how you read your scripture. Show me the faith by how you connect it to your community. Show me your faith that in a time of need, you share the truth. 
And when all that is said and done, watch this, it will produce fruit. As the choir comes up to the stand, we always ask ourselves a couple of questions. We ask ourselves, what is God calling you to stop? What is God calling you to believe? And what is God calling you to start? What is he calling you to stop? What is he calling you to stop? And what is he causing you to believe? And so as we reflect upon all that Jesus Christ has allowed us to experience today, those are questions that you have to ask yourself. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and this message did not apply to you, then please don't leave this place the same way that you came in. Amen? Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom. Shalom.